Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 11th of September of 2019. My name is Nick. This is Chris. Hello. Hi. Nick, I have recently started watching The Office. The American The Office? The, the American The Office. Uh, just on a whim, I'd kind of been curious. I know a lot of people talk about it. I never watched it when it was on air. I Neither watch, did I. I, I, I watched like one episode that came on after the Super Bowl, and I think that was it. Yeah, I think I saw a couple episodes. Like, I feel like maybe Comedy Central or something like that had it. And, and I, I started watching it from there. And there is um, a very unique experience when it comes to consuming a piece of media that was the biggest thing in its genre at the time. Like, if you were going to talk mm -hmm. about, like, a sitcom at the time, it was The Office. Um, right. And, and I'm digesting it now uh, for a large part of it, I guess, like, 15 years after the fact. And there's some unique perspectives that kind of come along with it of, you know, being, you know, a decade past that and seeing how culture and mm -hmm. things have changed and how things have moved. But the biggest thing is being like, now, how can I subtly start up a conversation on Twitter to be like, hey, guys, does anyone ever think that they're being too mean to Toby? <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> like, I'm like, I really want this guy to have things work out for him. Does anyone else agree? too far question mark question mark question mark it's i guess it's probably more awkward to do that for uh franchises that were around when social media was a thing but they relate to it uh if you go back a little bit further then it's like okay you know we, we've got you know a lot of people in that kind of social media circle um that talk about geeky stuff like you know star trek yeah Complex stuff, and it's like, well, yeah, if you want to talk about uh, that stuff on Twitter, then you know, whatever, but yeah, you're right. When it's a big, it would be like if you know, 15 years from now, suddenly you wanted to strike up a conversation about Game of Thrones, and it's like, well, you kind of missed the boat a little bit on that one. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's really talking about it the same way anymore. Um, and I should note the only reason I'm watching it is exclusively because I was like, I kind of have a vague interest in it, and it's gonna leave Netflix. And I can assure you, there is not a chance in hell I'm buying whatever fucking streaming service it's going to go to after this. Right. Was it NBC or? Because like CBS? every major station is going to have their own streaming service eventually. I'm not doing that. I'm going to fuck that noise. I'm not going to be following it where it goes after this. So I was like, if I, if I want to watch it, now is the only chance I, I'm going to have. So I was like, let's get into it. And... Um, I'm enjoying it. I do think it's funny. Creed's the best character. Don't at me. Uh, but do at me so that we can have that conversation about Toby, actually. So I can be like, yeah, they're really mean to Toby. Like, I mean, you know, I watched uh, Parks and Rec. You know, there was the whole Jerry jokes and everything like that. But they're really mean to Toby. I love Jerry. <laughs> he's so he's so nice. <laughs> anyway, um. It was a little bit of the same experience when uh, a few years ago I watched Friends for the first time. Mm. Uh, but again, that was a series that was like it was just old enough that it was like, OK, no one was talking about this. And also I was watching it with someone because uh, Nicole had watched it before. And so we watched it together. And so it was like, OK, we, we have the, I have someone that I'm going through this together with and I can talk to about it. So and anyway, Friends is 
was kind of bigger than The Office just because it's like there was nothing else to compete with. Like Office started coming around once the other options were going in, but it's Office is right also in that sweet spot where everybody was generally watching the same things. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard people. There say, wasn't so much stuff that you could have something that was considered incredibly successful, but a bunch of people had no idea what it was about. So somebody. So uh, AMC put out the preacher. Mm-hmm. I have been waiting. I, I think it's on its fourth season. And I've been waiting. And finally, just last week, for the first time in four years, I've heard anyone, literally anybody, talk about Preacher. And I was like, oh, okay, somebody in this cosmos is watching this, and this is why I got to, like, four right. seasons or whatever. But I've never heard, not even on social media, have I ever heard anyone say a single thing about Preacher. And then you're like, oh, I assume it just got canceled. And then you see, like, an ad for it, and you're like... Oh no, never mind. I guess it's just nobody I know talks about this yet. It, it's right, like it's four seasons or whatever, and it's like, all right. You know, I'm just, I'm just used to that happening with TV because there's so much TV that I didn't watch. <laughs> yeah, someone was like, "You gonna watch? What, what did you think of Carnival Row?" I was like, "What? I'm not watching Carnival? Look, I know I have a huge crush on Cara Delevingne, but it's not enough to watch what looked like just a terrible looking series." But people were still like. Yeah, you've you've checked it out though, right? Like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I don't mind us going now? on a long tangent, but because we don't have as many chapters as we usually do this week. Um, but that said, we should get to them eventually. Yeah, I did. I don't know if it was evident. I was strategically creating a longer tangent than usual mm-hmm. to make up. See. Guys, WMR is a science. We have a strict tangent to solid discussion ratio block. And yes. uh, we, we kind of keep them in a row. Now, there is a wild card. You don't understand that we've got, like, you know, timers, like, next to us that, you know, tick down and we sync them up for the show. And mm-hmm. no, we don't. We have a very specific time spent on each page uh, counter that we've got to adhere to. Or else we get an electric shock administered to us. Now, we should be clear. There is a wild card, though, that if the topic of wrestling comes up in any way, all bets are out the window. We have to to just assume, like, hey, the next 20 minutes might be a discussion about Bray Wyatt and King Baron Corbin that none of us are going to get, but... Turns out they they just kind of like ripped the bandaid off by making everyone realize that Barracorn was going to win. So that then you could just watch it and be like, oh, maybe he's actually going to be good during this tournament. <laughs> Very clever, I think. I suppose. <laughs> anyway, we're going to kick things out with My Hero Academia. There's not a lot important that happens in this chapter. That said... This is going to be a certain segment of the fandom's favorite chapter of all time, I guarantee you, because a huge part of it is just Class 1A hanging out, being adorable together, along with Ari, who shows up to also be adorable. There's some plot stuff at the beginning. There's some plot stuff at the end. Uh, at the beginning, we find out some stuff as the teachers are having a little you know, meeting. There's... A fun little detail that I like where Nezu is like sitting on Aizawa's shoulder bundled up in his scarf. And Aizawa's like, you've got your own chair. And Nezu's like, this one is this place is warm and cozy, though. 
This is the principle of the school. He's like, uh, I guess I suppose. Can't really argue with that, I guess. <laughs> uh and basically, it seems as though the Public Safety Commission has realized, hey, so things are looking kind of bad right now with, you know, that Nomu who nearly killed the number one hero currently and All Might being gone. So we need you to make child soldiers. That's essentially what there is being asked of them. It is. It's that thing that you kind of have to, like, turn your head to when it comes to discussing shonen manga because it's always like... You know, the characters tend to be younger so that they're closer mm-hmm. to, like, the age demographic and they're involved in fights. But, yeah, they are literally training child soldiers right now. Uh, I mean, they are kind of having this discussion of, like, what does this mean about, you know, the way that the they feel about the League of Villains and all this stuff. Um, but essentially what the teachers conclude is, like, I mean, this is kind of our job anyway, is to prepare these kids for when they're old enough to become heroes. So I guess we'll just, you know, accelerate things a little bit. And also the main, like, uh, thing that's going to come out in the short term from this is the fact that they are, uh, again, having the hero training courses, the, you know, uh, sidekick kind of thing. Uh, but it's going to be required of all of the students in the hero course this time, as opposed to them having the option of trying to do it. Then afterwards, uh, Nezu has a phone conversation with uh, all, all might and Sugauchi, and they bring up the whole spy thing again. Um, because they say like, yeah, the kids have been in the dormitories for four months. There's been no suspicious behavior from any of them. And so, all my concludes like, oh, that means you know none of the students are spying for the League of Villains, and and Nez is like, yeah, well, yeah, the next time the League makes a move, if we don't find a connection, then yeah, that's what we've got to conclude. And all my's like, ah, oh, great, the kids in UA's here, of course, all have heroic hearts, and Nez is like, yeah, and it's one of those kind of things that it's like, well, if you would just let this kind of like go forgotten, then. I'm sure that everyone would have eventually just kind of dropped it. But because it got brought up again, it's like, okay, this is still a thing. This idea that there is a spy either among the teachers or among the students. It's one of those things where if you keep on bringing it up and bringing up the idea enough, then there's going to have to be some sort of a payoff for it. You can't just like let it go forgotten if you're deliberately. If this was their way of being like, we're just going to sweep this under the rug. And it's kind of a pretty big disappointment. Yeah. I don't think that that's going to be the case. It's it's there has to be some sort of like big reveal, even if the big reveal is no, none of them were the spy. It was this person or something like that. It was the janitor, Crusto. Damn! Yeah, <laughs> it's like crap. And he's like, ah, you got me. Why did we ever suspect him before? He's got crab claws. How can he actually operate a custodian's tools? (laughs) (laughs) He also runs around on his crab legs and spits bubbles at people's faces. (laughs) I don't know why we didn't try. We didn't suspect Crusto from the very beginning. He's also not subtle about his allegiance too. He's like, oh, you kids, you made a dirty mess you have. I'll make sure you get cheese one day. (laughs) 
My Hero Academia. The exact same, except there's a giant crab man who occasionally scuttles up to people and goes, <laughs> and then scuttles off and they keep on having a conversation like nothing's happened. Everyone's just like, oh, Crusto. <laughs> but he's so, actually a really big character in My Hero Academia Vigilantes. <laughs> they, really, they, they really expand upon his character in that one. He's like the most badass character whenever like they're in a big bind, all of a sudden, you know, dramatic lighting hits him and he comes rushing in to save the day. <laughs> like, oh, Crusto's here. Everyone can feel at ease now. The bad guy has like a gun to the hero's head and then a bubble hits his eye. Oh, who is that? It's just like, clack, clack, clack. The cause of justice be upon you, matey. <laughs> <laughs> like there's like a single chapter devoted entirely to him and so he does one of his typical things where it's like oh you damn rotten kids make me clean up your messes everywhere i go but little do you know that crusto the janitor at ua is also secretly <laughs> like puts like a, a single like ski mask on but he's got the, got the crab claws and stuff crusto vigilante extraordinaire <laughs> So, like, the illusion is that he's not a character when he goes around the school campus. He is just Crusto, but he puts on a mask, and then he's he's Crusto the superhero. (laughs) And everyone's like, who's Crusto? There's, like, silhouettes with giant crab claws, but it's just a big question mark in it. Who is Crusto? But who is Mr. America? (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So the other thing that we learn is that um, Toshinori has been so goddamn busy lately that he has doesn't realize that it's Christmas and unusual somewhat for a, you know, Japanese manga series. We just get almost an entire chapter dedicated to, hey, it's Christmas. Let's celebrate Christmas. I know that Christmas is like a thing in Japan and it is kind of like this in terms of it's more akin to like Halloween than anything else. So there's not, you know, any religious symbolism or anything. It's just like, hey, Santa, let's give each other gifts and stuff. Um, So all of the members of Class 1A are gathered together in their dorm and they've got a Christmas tree up and they've got a feast laid out. Huge, gigantic, these things must be like 10 liter bottles of soda. And they are all dressed like Santa, except for Bakugo, because of course he isn't. Um, and he's just kind of like, you know, shuffling in, around in the background in, the, in a track suit, being grumpy. And I love the amount of detail that goes into uh, some of the stuff in this. Every single member of uh, Class 1A has a unique uh, Santa hat. They have their own individualized, uh, like, puffball things. So, like, uh, Yairozu's got uh, books, a book on hers. Uraka's got a little, uh, like, planet. Uh, Hagakure doesn't have any because she's invisible. Hey. Uh, and they, whenever they actually force Bakugo, which takes basically the entire chapter to do, to put his on, his has a, like a little explosion thing. And uh, Jiro has a musical note on hers. And on that note, um, oh. this is an excuse for me to talk about Jiro. Okay. Um, 
guys, I know that I've mentioned multiple times that Jiro is my favorite character in My Hero Academia. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that for about the past year, I've had some sort of like thing in my, you know, Twitter description thing about like, hey, where's my Jiro arc or where's my Jiro merch, that kind of thing. Um, well, I now have not Jiro merch, um, but my girlfriend, Nicole, uh, made me a Jiro Funko Pop. And she's got little ear antenna, uh, her earphone jacks, and she's got the little wave band in her hair, and she's perfect, and I love her. That is a very well done Funko Pop, too. My girlfriend is amazing, and I love her very much. Anyway, so she's going to sit over here while I do the rest of this. Anyway, I just need to bring that up. No, no, it's very... uh, Honestly, if we hadn't brought that up, this chapter would have felt incomplete. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, and also it all ties in together because they exchange gifts in this chapter. So that was just a random gift for me. Anyway, I was wondering why you stopped at first because I was like, "Is there a lot of significance to Jiro in this chapter?" Because I no, she I plays the guitar and sings scene. along. There, and that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna be like, if you notice in this scene, she's actually giving a secret code sign beneath the the, the frame of the she's panel. She's the spy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I would kind of love it if she was the spy. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Prominent role for Jiro. <laughs> they like like the chapter ends. Jiro's the spy. Next chapter. Well, we killed Jiro off screen. <laughs> You're like no. Be, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So there is a little bit of uh, discussion that happens here where Kirishima me- uh, mentions, "Oh, hey, you know, uh, like they're starting up the. You know, they meant they mentioned like, hey, they're starting up the hero training thing again." Uh, what about you, Midori? Are you going to like go back to Nadai's agency? And Kirishima brings up, yeah, Centipede's taken over, right? So is it did, have you been able to talk to him? And Deku actually had thought of this previously and had called him up, but basically they're kind of overwhelmed with the minor aspects of running a hero agency at this point because Nadai did so much while he was there that all of the stuff like the paperwork and everything that he did has now been unloaded on the rest of them. And so they don't really have the time to just take on an intern and go out and do, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, you could have him be an intern and have him do paperwork. I'm sure deck would be good at that because he's a little nerd, but whatever. So anyway, it's a setup for why he can't do that. And also Grant Reno is busy with other stuff, so he's not taking him on either. And that's a setup for the end of the chapter. Uh, meanwhile, as Bakugo is slowly being forced into the Santa outfit, uh, he also has a, a bit of reflection on the hero agency thing because we actually get to see more of the conversation that took place between him and best genist. If you recall way back when they did all that stuff, uh, a lot of heroes, a lot of the kids got to, you know, do things. And, uh, Bakugo was forced to get his hair combed. Uh, and that was basically it. <laughs> um, and uh, we see that when Best Genius was like forcing him to, you know, be neat and tidy and present proper appearance and stuff that Best Genius was also asking him like, hey, by the way, you're just currently going by Bakugo. What's what's your hero name? And Bakugo brings up that conversation from forever ago where they all picked hero names. and He was the only one who didn't get to pick one. Because all the ones that he came up with were rejected because King Explosion Murder and Lord Explosion Murder and Explosion Murder are not very good hero names. I disagree. 
pie. I disagree too. I think that King Explosion Murder is a great name. That does sound pretty dope. Um, and Best News is just like, God, you're such a you're such a kid. But he mentions the importance of a hero title, saying that an your alias represents your desires. It's the embodiment of how you wish to be. It's your ideal self, and you are still naive to the ways of the world. But I hope to show you that world. Once you've earned your provisional license in your second year, return to me. And on that day, tell me your chosen name. And of course, at this moment, Bakugo is aware that Best Junius is missing. He doesn't know that Best Junius was supposedly kidnapped and killed. I say supposedly. Um, but it's interesting to have that little bit of reflection with, with Bakugo and to see that this that experience did actually have an effect on him and that he does actually seemingly want to show best genius how much he has gotten to evolve and grow stronger as a hero and as a person. Uh, so nice little bit of stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sato shows up to the Christmas party. He has made a freaking Turkey. I think that's a Turkey could be a chicken, whatever, uh, because he am chef. And then, oh, Ari shows up, and she's in a Santa Claus outfit, too, and Aizawa was with her. And then there's kind of a, like, sad note that goes on here because she doesn't know her holidays because she's never gotten to celebrate them because she's been a prisoner to her own father her entire life. So she says trick-or-treat. Well, she says tricky-treat because she's tiny and it's supposed to be cute. But honestly, whenever I think, whenever I see that pen, I just think, like, Oh, that poor girl. She doesn't. She's never gotten to do anything happy in her life. Yeah, she's like right at the age where trick or treats like pretty dope because you're old enough to be like, I got a cool costume and I get to eat all the candy. You know, right. not like when you're like a dumb fucking three year old and they just dress you up like a fucking Christmas ornament or some shit, and they're like, you could have two pieces. Mm-hmm. Um. Mirio isn't isn't with them yet because he's still in class. Uh, Deku notices that Aries' horn has gotten a little bit bigger. Um, and Aizawa says that she's apparently been progressing pretty well. She's been happier recently. So that's nice. Uh, they sing car- carols or they sing the fa-la-la-la-la song. They sing which a is public domain carol, yeah. Yeah, it's very like, you can't sue us. There's no song that goes fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la
If we don't see someone actually training with him, it'll just be like, what a waste. <laughs> Why bother? I really like this chapter. Um, there is not a whole lot that like gets done in it, but there's a lot of nice little character stuff that happens during it. Uh, and in general, it's just a nice, it's just a good time. So, yeah, I, I think it's a solid little fun chapter. All right, let's. Chris, talk I should about... say before we get into this. Okay. Eden Zero has I've real I realized today been one of the series that I've been looking most forward to, chapter to chapter for about the past month, just because I'm like I'm actually interested in what happens to like Amora and stuff. Oh. Okay. And this uh, chapter didn't really do a whole lot in that regard. I was gonna say, well, I'm glad you shared that detail with me. Uh. You're wrong and you should feel bad, but I'm glad that you you felt the need to share it, and uh, I support you in that. Uh, so let's talk about Eden Zero. Nick can't actually talk back to me right now because he unplugged something and he's trying to plug it back in. Uh, so I'm just going to sass him up and down until he gets it back. Uh, and now we're going to talk about Eden Zero Chapter 60 until the day it changes to What did you say about me? Nothing, Nick. Anyways. So, Somehow unplugging my microphone also unplugged my headphones. So I just wanted to make sure that you weren't saying anything. Nope, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> so Shiki wound up smashing his way into the big uh, fucking base. And everyone's really shocked. Uh, it's also weird because uh, Baku is like, Aether Gear? You mean he could use that magic power that Draken uses? And I had to stop him like, is Aether Gear supposed to be really rare? Because, because a lot of characters seem to have has, it. Yeah, everybody has it. The main like core cast of the Eden Zero all have Aether Gear. Even though like Rebecca's has it fully. The developed. only ones that yeah. don't have Aether Gear, I think, are the androids, and they have other powers anyway. Yeah. So. And so it's like everyone there has it. That that dude who could steal everything has it here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it doesn't feel like it's that rare, but whatever. I guess it. I, I guess they're still stunned by the fact. Shiki he has had it. the one wind guy rival who has it. Dragon Joe has it. So, yeah. I mean, like, not every character they've encountered has it, but basically, anyone that they have fought that's not a robot. Has it so? <laughs> uh, so, Kuranai summons a whole bunch of like random guards, uh, and Cheeky beats them all up. We don't really need to cover every single moment of it. Uh, he goes to try to fight her, but then thankfully the other guys start getting fucking involved. They stop seeing on her ass. Like the three big lieutenants are like sitting back there, and they're just like, "Oh, I wonder if we should step in." They do eventually. Uh, and Baku like hits Cheeky. And then the guy with the mankind mask, whose name I've forgotten, sends out his his whip and hit Shiki. But I guess the whip doesn't just numb you to the point of paralyzation anymore because Shiki immediately gets up and counters everything and beats everybody, basically. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess that whip doesn't work the second time or something. Uh, so Shiki's like, you made Homore cry. And Lady Curran is like, tears are a flaw of the week. Winners always wear a smile. And she's like, you took the smile from Hamora. And if it's weak to show tears, then we'll be weak. And we're going to keep moving forward to that weakness because someday it'll change into strength. And I 
guess it's kind of a cool line. I haven't really, it's kind of clunky. So maybe it's one of those things that sounds a bit more like elegant in its native language. It just sounded a little chunky in execution. But hey, you know what? He's coming with the speech. I think the problem more is that it's, the problem more is that like this kind of comes out of nowhere for Shiki. Like it's like, oh, okay, that's a weird bit of insight. I don't know really what ha- that has to do with your experiences as a character, but all right. Uh, so we cut back to the labor district where everyone's like, why the fuck did Shiki go alone? Like, why did that little fucking idiot get scared at the sight of a bug? And uh, everyone's pretty shocked by this. But Rebecca runs off and she goes over to Hamor, who's still kind of sitting down on the ground. She's like, hey, Shiki's going to go fight Madame Kerr and I all alone. Um, and we get like kind of a montage of all the various moments that Hamor was like, can't wait to see my fucking master again. I'm going to see my master. going to find her again. It's going to go well. <laughs> and Rebecca's like, did you get to say everything you wanted to say? I'm sure she'll hear you. Go on. Say your mind. Just like you always do. I'm sure your feelings will reach her. And uh, we cut away because uh, we haven't solved all that. Yes, I guess. Uh, but the giant Oculus beam, the, the giant satellite, which I only realized was called the oculus curani because they later call it something different and there's like a translator note that's like it's the same thing (laughs) (laughs) uh the oculus curani is like malfunction they're like holy shit what's happening uh and then dracon joe's like cool it's mine now this takes me back to when you came crying to me begging for money and now you're this tacky old hag well all your base are belong to us He's taking Pretty control much, yeah. of it. He calls it satellite plays. That was where the confusion was. I was like, there was this little translator note. And I was like, this is the same thing. And I was like, all right. I guess he just renamed it in the moment. He's like, new branding. <laughs> Got to get my name across here. Like, it's like, Branding's right. important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Madame Kurenai is really upset, but she may have an ace up her sleeve. And she's like, all right, you want a war? Then unleash the Kurenai Dragoon. That will destroy the Labor District and Draken along with it. And we just see the eye light up of what appears to be a gigantic mech robot. Mm. There are some. There are a couple of bits in this chapter that I do like. Um, I like Draken Joe's thing. I like. I hope that he sticks around for after this arc to be like, oh, this is the person that. And I got into debt too, and part of that experience turned her into the person that she is now. I think that that's more interesting than Kurenai herself has been thus far, uh, because it really seems as though like, oh, she was just like bad. <laughs> um, and the conversation between Rebecca and Hamura is a lot better than the thing that Shiki said to her, as well. You mean uh, because- if somebody's in trouble, I shouldn't walk up to them and be like. You're going to be fine. <laughs> if someone's grieving to death, uh, I shouldn't walk up and be like, I bet your friend, your dead friend would have made a great friend. Anyway, stop sitting there crying to be stronger now. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get over it. Bye. <laughs> um, But all the stuff with Shiki is like, okay, <laughs> the fight's totally uninteresting. Um, He just... 
every villain in this in this arc has been so far beneath Shiki that I don't know why it's lasted this long in terms of like practicality. <laughs> uh, and I'm kind of surprised to see that um, Kurenai is as strong as she is, that she can just take a full power punch from Shiki without blinking when we don't really have an indication of what makes her strong. You would, and it's not a matter of like, oh, she's a woman. I said, no, it's that she was, you know, helpless in and destitute. Everything and, about her seems to suggest she got her money and power through politics, not through any physical strength of her own. So they they would need to explain something like, oh, once she ascended to power, she put cybernetics in her or that right, you know right. gave her some power or. I don't know. She's been tr- paying the world's strongest martial artist to personally train her. Or something. something like yeah. that. Yeah. She used her wealth to accumulate physical strength as well. Or she is her like kimono gives her super strength or something like yeah. that. So and it was weird to have like I was expecting it. I was expecting, you know, her to be able to fend off Shiki because she is the villain of this arc. But it was just kind of weird that she did it. And then. Nothing was said about it. That was the the awkward part about it. So, next chapter, she's going to reveal that uh, she does have money armor, exactly as you said, Nick. Yeah, it's just you know like pennies. Yeah, she's got thousands of pennies. When the anime adaptation comes out, Shiki will punch her hand, and there will be like (laughs) (laughs) cutting. Yeah. Oh man, it's going to be nice. There's going to be a bunch of sound effects from the Scrooge McDuck cartoon that they can use for that. Then they're like, hey, give us some of those sweet jumping into coin sound effects that you guys have over there. As Scrooge McDuck does every episode, they're like, that's in the theme song. And there's no sound effects during that. It's music playing. Also, the show isn't called Scrooge McDuck. You know that, right? <laughs> Look, we did no research for this whatsoever. <laughs> Look, just give us a goddamn sound effect. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Also, by the way, DuckTales, the newer series, is very good. Highly recommend it. I have no idea where to watch it. So, um, let's move on. Beast Children. It's supposedly a chapter about how great Yukito is, which is why it ends with him getting his ass kicked. (laughs) He's very good. He loses. (laughs) It's so weird, and it really shows you, like, just how, like, fast track this series is getting towards cancellation this has got to be like done at chapter 18 kind of thing because we have this big thing that shows off how great yukito is and how he his whole thing is that he wants to disappear he wants to vanish from people's sight he wants to be erased from the field and so his technique snow dancer his his devil bat ghost is he wants everyone to forget about him. He wants them to not touch him, get dirty. And if he gets dirty, he'll stand out. So I must stay pure white while I do my work, and then I'll disappear. Oh, but his rival doesn't take sights off him. Sakura sees him and tackles him and strips the ball away and gets a fumble recovery. (laughs) And almost scores off of it, too. Like the big note is that like, oh, they're down by two scores uh, and time runs out in the half before Sakura can get a score off of the strips uh, tackle. But it's like, I can't be touched, gets touched a lot. (laughs) 
There's also some weird kind of imagery that goes along with it because mm-hmm. there's like they they set up this idea of like kind of like a temperature based like yeah. gimmick to him because he's just like oh I am the uh, it's getting colder now nobody can touch me I'm I'm getting so invisible I am a snow person my snow dancer moves across and then I'll gets tackled fade away into the pure white I can't get dirty or I'll stand out against that pure white and then he gets tackled he's like looks like today is gonna be a scorcher and you're like that's lame. Everybody should point back. That was lame, buddy. What are you doing? Come on now. Are you, t- are you trying to be some sort of stupid warrior poet? Fuck you. You're not nearly as cool as I thought you were. You're like Sakura's like if you're if you're my rival, then I don't even know why I'm playing this stupid sport anymore. It just walks off the field. He's just like, why are you talking like this? All of a sudden, he's like, well, I recently started getting into superheroes, and I decided I needed a superhero. oh goddamn it, I needed a supervillain gimmick, and I was like, who's the coolest supervillain in all of comic books who doesn't get enough attention? Chilla, and they're like, I guess the weather wizard is that what you're getting at? Because he's not. I don't know how to tell you this. The Wither Wizard's like intentionally kind of lame. And he's like, oh, no, no. I don't know if he is. You think about it. He like watches that one episode of Young Justice where all the cold based villains team up together uh, to cause a big worldwide winter disaster. And then he's like, but what if there were an ice themed villain that weren't one of them? <laughs> just like, it was what like if, what a if, level below Captain Cold. What if DC had a fifth ice based character? <laughs> they do, Chris. <laughs> what if they had a seventh? So. I wonder if it's like, if there's, because I imagine there's some kind of like uh, Bible when it comes to like creating DC characters or writing character like stories for DC. They're like, hey, these are the things you can or can't do. Uh, if you create a new character, these are the things we need to avoid. So we don't like, like don't don't build upon like, uh, oh, your the parents died. They became a vigilante because of that. We, we got that cover. We need to do new things. If there's like a rule in there somewhere, they're like, you know, if you're creating a new hero, make sure they have an ice-based villain, like some kind of, uh, <laughs> someone with like an ice gun, maybe, or maybe they just shoot ice out of their hand, but make sure ice is prominently featured in it. Like, I don't know, my guy's like a galactic superhero, they're like, what if he fights an ice-based planet with, like, little ice people <laughs> that shoot ice on his... <laughs> Alright, fine, I'll name my character uh, Joe Chills. Well, the name's taken. It's not an ice-based guy. He's... <laughs> I am stunned i am stunned that they have it with how fucking often they go back to the well of the fucking batman mythos that there has never been a storyline where joe chill becomes a supervillain and actually gets like he steals mr freeze's chill gun he's like and he makes him into like two dual pistols he's like i am joe chill The most recent story that I've heard of that involved Joe Chill was like an episode of like Brave and the Bold, and he was still just like a random crook. So I mean, that's the best way to do it. But I'm stunned, it, yeah. it, like in, in an impressed way, because comic books seem to because Batman's got like an eighty-something year history. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on from there to uh, Mission Yozakura Family. It's Mission Three Feelings. Tayo has a nightmare about a huge, scary, shadowy guy holding Mutsumi hostage and he's going to kill her. And he's like, ah, you're so weak. You can't even rescue a one girl. Of course, it was all just a dream. And Tayo wakes up and he goes to one of Mutsumi's siblings. I don't know the care, all the characters names yet, but it's the magical girl looking girl. 
who is doing something with a dumbbell. I'm not sure exactly what she's doing. I think she might just be twirling around in her hands, but it's like dancing all around her. And so Tayo asks her to help him to get stronger. And she's like, well, I mean, we're, we're intending to train you like because if you're going to be in this family and you're going to be one of the members entrusted with protecting Musumi, you've got to get stronger. But you're a normal person. Your training's going to take time. And Tayo's just like, well, but I've got to do it. I've got to get stronger quickly. I mean, if I do it that way, then it's going to take too long and I'm not going to be able to protect Mutsumi. I, I mean, I could have died when the bomber during the bomber incident and Mutsumi uh, would, you know, die too. And so I've got to get stronger for her sake. And the magical girl throws him around a bit and is like, look, I'm incredible. I'm incredibly talented in, in all these forms of martial arts. I started training when I was three years old. I went on my first mission when I was six years old. I have this ridiculous bloodline talent, and it took me three years to get strong enough. You're a normal person. You will need more time in order to get strong enough to actually go on missions and protect her. So just because you want to do something and you're determined doesn't mean you can actually do it. But she does agree to help uh, train him after giving him that warning. And she says, look, before we actually I actually start training you, you have to live in the mansion for a month. And he's like, oh, that's all? Okay. And she's like, yep, once I see what you're made of, I'll train you. And immediately he falls into a pit trap. And uh, he has to catch himself from falling into a spike pit. And she's like, by the way, the mansion is set up with lots and lots of spy training traps. There are sensors, there are pit traps. And you know, for us, part of the Yozakura family, this is just something we do every single day. It's part of our training regiment is just we have to live in here. If you can't handle this, you will never be able to get through the real training. So survive for a month. And we see that things get comedic from this point pretty much immediately because like the next day, Tayo wakes up, the alarm clock goes off. Um, the alarm clock is a cuckoo clock that goes, arr, arr, which is really weird. But then it explodes and it, but it's a it's a funny explosion. He's like covered in char marks at the breakfast table afterwards. And uh, she's like, I still don't know if I had that alarm clock, if I would wake up afterwards. Like, I feel like an explosion. <laughs> no, whatever. Gone. It's gone. It's it's done now. Self-muting alarm. Perfect. Yeah, I'd still find a way to like wrap myself up in some charred remains of blankets and mattress and be like 20 more minutes or an hour. Who knows? <laughs> The bed like eats you. It's, like, oh, it's still good. <laughs> you know what? Down here, it all floats or something. Whatever that <laughs> damn clown says. <laughs> oh, fucking it boy. That's his name, right? It boy. <laughs> <laughs> that damn it clown. Um, and it's explained like, yeah, your alarm clock goes off after ten seconds because you've got to be able to wake up at a moment's notice. Uh. All sorts of different training things happen. So uh, and they explain the like, by the way, all the traps in the house are controlled by a computer. Once you are able to clear the traps, you'll be recognized as a member of the family. You won't have to deal with them all the time. Uh, at that moment, however, Tayo starts getting stomach pains and they have to explain like, yeah, uh, meals are part of training too. everyone's meals except Mutsumis have a little bit of poison in them. It's just enough to cause diarrhea, but, you know, you've got to build up that poison immunity. Anyway, the bathroom's over there. There's a huge combination lock on the bathroom door. Uh, 
So there, all sorts of stuff happens. Uh, like every time that he tries to get to go into the kitchen, machine guns pop out of the refrigerator. If he tries to take a shower, the faucet tries to drown him. Uh, when he goes to school, even he's given this incredibly uh, heavy weighted clothing. But over time, Tayo does manage to slowly get able to deal with stuff until three weeks pass. And he is basically managed to master almost everything, but he still can't get that damn combination lock on the bathroom open. So he's probably been just just shitting his pants for the past three weeks, I guess. They seem to suggest that what's his name's opening the door for him, but it is far funnier to imagine he's just shitting himself over and over again. (laughs) You imagine just this guy just going, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, never mind. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, it's fine. So a lot of the siblings are very impressed with his progress. But then all of a sudden, Tayo collapses in the middle of the hallway. So he's rushed to uh, Now's room, Buckethead guy, uh, and who does a little bit of uh, help with him. Magical Girl realizes what's been going on and peels off a layer of skin and... Uh, which which reveals this been covering up a whole lot of wounds that he's accumulated over time. Uh, and she's like, look, I knew that you were doing something fishy here. You know, you've had abnormal results. That means that you used abnormal methods. And essentially, the other siblings have been helping him do different things. Uh, he's been getting, you know, training uh, with one of the siblings. Uh, he's been getting taught uh, how to analytics by another and then Nanao has been has been actually patching him up and the disguise guy Kengo has been covering up all of his wounds with the fake skin so uh she is upset with them for like look come on you're 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 assisting this guy in killing himself basically what are you doing uh she chops Tayo on the face the same as Mutsumi did in the previous chapter for being an idiot and progressing ahead this way and she says look if you want to protect Mutsumi so much, you have to protect yourself first. If you can't take care of yourself, how can you possibly take care of someone else? So she gives him a little guide to code breaking, uh, basically code breaking for dummies. And is like, look, this is an old book of mine. Study it while you recover. If you plan to keep training here, you can't just take shortcuts to get through this part of it. You have to actually do things properly because you're not going to be able to cheat your way through the rest of this. So... It's a good lesson. Uh, she does have a little compliment for him afterward, which is that Tayo's feelings for Mutsumi are clearly the real thing. They're so strong that they have carried him through all of this. And she looks up this little video on her phone of herself when she was younger, training with Mutsumi in her weird hand techniques and stuff and like playing uh, with her little sister. It's like, oh, that's sweet. Hand techniques, Nick. Like all the ones all that I taught to Jumanji. If there is a moment, because it seems as though all the siblings are going to like, you know, history's strongest disciple Kenichi style train Tayo up, then yes, she will have to teach him all of her hand techniques. So. I'm glad that finally happens in Jump. <laughs> oh, all right. Next, next unplugged game. We can insult him all over again. Nick smells everybody. He's a big jerk. Nobody likes him. Oh wait, no, actually, never mind. I think you can hear us. Uh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yep. We okay. Can hear you. All right. Good. It didn't make a beep when I plugged it back in. The full month has elapsed. 
And Tayo is able to get through the door into the bathroom and everyone celebrates with him because that's the last obstacle. He has managed to get through all of them. Uh, and the, his little wedding ring thing starts to glow. And uh, Futaba, that's her name, explains that it is made of a special alloy that reacts to the house's computer's electromagnetic waves. And thus, this is an acknowledgement that he has been accepted by the computer as a member of the family. So she's like, good job. Now you get to train as a member of the family. And I was like, all right. And then they're like, OK, now that we've got to you know, start your official training, change into this 100 kilogram shirt. We're going to increase the level of the traps. And like, it all starts all over again, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, it's like a video game. You get to the end, you got a new game plus it. But you don't. You don't get anything. You don't carry anything. Over. No, it's just harder. Yeah, it's just, it's just harder. hell mode. It's just go fuck yourself. So uh, I didn't. I didn't like this chapter as much as the previous one, but I liked it better than the first one. I think so. Yeah, I think this chapter. I, I didn't enjoy it particularly. Not to say it wasn't good or anything like that. Um, I think this is the chapter that's very kind of important to have. Mm-hmm. But I feel as though the main crux of it was kind of already handled last time. And uh, I, I am a little I'm starting to get a little concerned right now about Tayo's character and how kind of generic he feels. Mm-hmm. I think he's admirable in a lot of things, but he does feel like he's becoming one of those protagonists who's just a self insert where he doesn't seem to have a ton of personality on his own. So I still dig it. I think it's a sign. Um, not my favorite chapter this week, but I think uh, it's still solid. I think that in order for Tayo to have more of that unique identity, there's got to be more of the one that he had in the first chapter. And the second one did kind of say like, yeah, we're kind of putting that to the side so that he'll have more normal reactions in the situation that he's in. Um, but that was the most interesting part about him was that, you know, paranoia he felt about losing someone mm. um so he would push everyone away in order to avoid having that feeling but i'm sure that uh you know we'll find out more about him with time because it, there's going to come to be a point eventually where it's like okay we're gonna have you know some introspection with him as opposed to just like look at this wacky situation he's ended up in he's going to just be normal now so now the question becomes we got through three chapters of a new series mm-hmm. do we continue reading it nick I would certainly like to, so. And I say no, so no deal. I ban it from the... No, we can do it. We can keep reading it. <laughs> but on the sole condition that no matter how bad it is, we also continue reading Spirit Busters all the way. No. <laughs> come on, Nick. You're like fucking Sony. You're not going to come back to the table to talk Spider-Man with a better deal? What is this? <laughs> Just a hard no? Alright, fine. You get two more weeks of it. Come on. <laughs> this, Tom- one, this is one of the weeks. Mitama Security Spirit Busters. Code 2. Slam! He fights a basketball spirit that's Come on and slam. Throw. And welcome and to, welcome to the jam. Uh, honestly, Come on and slam. I, if you want a jam. I think I would have been more entertained if I just listened to the original song without any like weird like mashup, which is honestly the charm of the song. Just the original song would have been a better use of my time. Having listened to it again for like the 5,000th time than experiencing this chapter for the first time. <laughs> like, it. it <sighs> 
It's a little bit better than the first one, if only because the visual, if only because the visual of the basketball ghost spirit taking his like spirit gun blast and then dribbling it between its legs is a little bit amusing. I was going to say that is the sole moment that got like a chuckle out of me is when he fires his beam and the basketball spirit just grabs it and just starts, (laughs) just starts dribbling. It's like, all right, that was a little amusing. Uh, but then it just stops being funny very quickly. I am so sick of the main hero's shtick, and it has been two chapters. So, But Nick, at the end of the chapter, her heart skips a beat, so she has feelings for him. I don't know him. why, okay? <laughs> she has feelings for him. She doki dokies for him, and I don't get it. <laughs> well, I do get it because he's the only person. He's like, it's good you had a spirit sense. And she's like, oh, nobody in my life has ever treated me that way. Uh, but I can't imagine like a less interesting relationship than the weird ghost dude and the girl whose defining personality trait is that ghosts follow her. Yeah, and... The only and the guy keeps on saying security and it's just like it's it's not it's not like a you pun. Have, you have <laughs> to give it to them, Nick. They are trying. All right. They're like, fuck, man. We translated Let's this shit from Japanese. Fucking just let us have this. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fine. I guess. Like, I understand. But like, it's just. <laughs> It's one of those things like when you're reading the subs for like a fan translated anime and they have to be like Nakama means friend. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Put an asterisk next to the thing in the subtitles that they have just left exactly the same. And then at the top, they're like, oh, this is what it means. <laughs> they're like, why didn't you just translate? They're like, well, the nuances of Nakama actually go far beyond what friend companion. is. <laughs> So, like, truly the best way it can be described is a uh, person on your ship who is like a friend but is closer to family uh, but is unable to be referred to as such. It's like, right up there, it's just says Nakama meets family. So why did you just, like, leave it here to say, like, Tachi? Well, Tachi means plural. Was like You could have said, you know, him and the others or those guys or something like that. No, no, no. no, no it's, it, very, you know, nuances of Tachi, you know. So. I, I can't tell if this has ever actually happened or not, but has there been subs that leave uh, Kawaii unsubbed? Kawaii. Oh, like, they, like they leave it in there and Baka because they're like, well, everyone knows absolutely these. No, no need to translate those. Yeah, because, you know, especially if it's like something that a character will say frequently, then it's like, oh, well, we're not going to translate the catchphrase. That would be, you know, heresy. So. I mean, they say that, but at the same time, there are moments where I'm like, oh, today's just been one of those yare yare daze. <laughs> and then I, and then I, yare yare days. And then I lean back and I do the pose. <laughs> but you've got like this big, like, triumphant smile. It's like, hey, I did it. <laughs> and everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, why doesn't everyone in my life understand every JoJo reference? And, and then cry. You, it's the, everywhere. <laughs> and then do you like a sad JoJo post? You're like, oh! I'm like, oh! <laughs> As I run away, I'm doing. Oh! 
Oh, man. All right. <laughs> Chris, let's talk about Samurai 8. Let's do it, Nick. What happened in this chapter? <laughs> I read it twice, and both times my reaction was just like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> well, there's a lot of explanation. I... I... I guess this is the thing that they're like, hey, maybe this is a mechanic we'll play upon in the future. But I think there's like, what, three pages solely devoted to explain how, like, well, a samurai's power can also heal themselves. I'm like, okay. Like, every fucking anime with powers really, like, kind of does this, you know? Like, didn't really need, like, a gigantic explanation, but they're like, well, hold on. It gets a little more intricate than just healing. You see, samurai are very good at two things. Uniting things and splitting them apart. And it's like, I don't. Wow. Why can't you just say they could heal themselves with their samurai powers? <laughs> why, does this, why does this have to be way more complicated? Well, Chris, but before we get into that, we have to go through all the hilarious jokes about Hachimaru not being able to close up his head because his face is all scrawny and gaunt from using all of his strength. And he just looks like that. And it's funny. It seems as though, because again, I don't really know how this world works. People's skulls open up, they pull their spines out, they become samurai, and it seems to be fine. How more people are kind of horrified at the idea of like, I don't know, I'm seeing inside the person right now. I don't know how biologically they work anymore because they don't seem to have any of the innards that I have, but I'm still having to face this body horror and happening right before me without, and I have to be kind of nice to him because I'm his princess. So, you know, I can't really like scream or anything because that'd probably be weird, but like, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. The one part of this chapter that did kind of like make me like, oh, that's a little funny is that, you know, because Anne's like, oh, you need to regain your strength. So do you need to here? I'll make food for you. Do, is there anything in particular you want to eat? And Hachimaru's just like all this stuff. And it just names like all these, you know, fish dishes and stuff. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got this. Yeah, don't underestimate me. And she goes over to the computer. Just like, How do you make all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, OK, I relate to that. You know, it's like I got this. Google, how do I do this thing? You know. It's so. it's sort of like the telling story of this manga that you're like, on be a really fun character in like Something any else. other series in this. I, I feel so bad because like three or four chapters ago, I was like, okay, yeah, this is good. Yeah, all right, here we go. And it's like, no, no, just back down. I, I'm waiting. Maybe it just needs to get in arcs. Like if it gets into its own, my worry. I don't know if that's going to happen, actually. Like, I know that we keep saying it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Kishimoto is attached to it. They'll give it time. But it's like from what I've seen, apparently it's not actually doing that well uh, in the magazine. Now, I take that with a grain of salt uh, in terms of like what you're going to see from it. You know, you never know, like just based off of like the stuff that is publicly available, how well a series is doing. You never know. Yeah. Like um, maybe the volume is going, the first volume is going to sell well or something, or maybe it, I forget if it's like, would it have come out by now? I think it would have What's that? Um, the first volume in Japan. Cause around this time, cause it's up to chapter 17. I think I this is around so. the time that they would have released it by this point. So maybe that one has or hasn't sold well. If I get a chance, I'll try looking up the sales figures. But um, so 
and that tends to be a big deciding factor on, you know, if it's got to get canceled early or not. And hey, maybe this has just not been doing well and maybe we're not going to get it for much longer. Um, and honestly, like for as much time as it is spent digging its heels in to be like, here is more information about how samurai work, then it will kind of be completely earned. It's getting really frustrating how much time is being spent on this stuff that I do not care about. I, I, I my worry is because my thought is like, all right, once we get into an arc, they won't have to fucking explain how samurai work anymore. My worry is they're going to get to this arc and they're going to be like, let me explain to you how the auction system on this. Planet oh, no. Works. <laughs> just, like, just, just Hunter Hunter <laughs> with cyber samurai drapings. <laughs> And way less interesting personal drama. (laughs) (laughs) The villains have a conversation and their master who is up on Skull Mountain in the sky says, go in person, follow them. That's it. Then we see our new characters in the series who are the characters that were named in the title, Kotsuga and Ryu. They're thieves? I guess. Um, and they yeah, go. This is like, this is the series Han Solo and Chewbacca, you know, where you got like the dashing <laughs> rogue that's full of personality. And then like the big, strong, silent type beside them. Except this big, strong, silent type says a lot of stuff too. <laughs> and it's the only one whose personality is even remotely interesting. <laughs> well, cause he's just, you know, like the, the little guy is just like, Oh, come on, let's do this. And then the big guy's like, you're kind of an asshole. <laughs> Essentially, their dynamic. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and walking around, I don't know exactly what for. She just says, apropos of nothing, while she's ta- walking around with uh, Hayasaka. Yeah. Uh, it's like, now I'll be able to expand my repertoire for Hachimaru. I guess she went grocery shopping to get all the stuff for their food. And then a mysterious masked and hooded figure approaches her and, and calls her by name. And she's like, do I know you? And the mask drops out. Oh, it's Hachimaru. He's got new digs. They honestly do, like, look a lot better on him than what he usually wears. It's weird that we get like, hey, it's a costume change at this point in the series. But it's like, hey, it's all right. That's a lot more, you know, like visually striking and simple and easy to get used to. So it's also I don't know if it's telling or maybe I'm just bad at finding design, but I've been far more interested in the design of goggles, which hook onto his ponytail and slide around his face than any of the samurai shit in the series. Oh yeah. All that technology seems kind of lame and I'm not really into it, but there's goggles. That's kind of dope. You should build a series based on that. Hey, if this guy had, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, like Adam's get glasses from Deus Ex, which is, yeah, totally. And thinks that Hachimaru looks fucking hot, apparently. So there's that going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hachimaru still can't uh, untie his hair without his face flopping open. I guess this is a plot point now because it keeps on coming up. Anyway, uh, Dharma gets an alarm that so uh, intruders are on their ship now, so he heads back to the ship. Uh, Anne and Hachimaru show up at the same time too, and it's the two thief guys are there, and 
they introduced themselves as Kotsuka and Ryu, and um, Kotsuka uh, thinks that Anne is cute and is like, yeah, ignore the woman and cut up the rest to uh, Ryu, who has his, his arm opens up, so apparently he's got samurai powers too. So mm-hmm. that's that's the chapter. Yeah, um, yep, that's the chapter. I guess yeah. I was like, do I have another thought to say? And I was like, I guess there don't. So, here we go. Samurai yeah, I just... More like I'm just, samurai, great, kind of. Not really. Just not really interested in stuff that's going on right now. Um, in, or in the characters, like, what's going on with them. Because, like, I don't know what they're really doing right now. It's like, oh, we're going to go and do a, a journey and stuff. It's like, do you have, like, a particular goal that you're going towards, like, right now? I don't know what you're doing. Well, their their goal is to find the six other keys. I know that, but what are they doing right now? Yeah, I don't. I think they they stopped off on this planet for supplies. This is like their 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 most Eisley or their nowhere, where they just like, oh, we just need to go here, the central hub of everything, and then figure it out from there. Also, it's weird that they had this whole thing where they were like leaving a planet and then they just landed on another planet and then nothing happened during the space journey. So it was like, okay, okay, you've got this space travel element to your series and space travel apparently isn't like Eden Zero even did that better. They are at least spend time on the ship between planets doing things. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. Let's 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 move on. Let's, we let's, never learn. Let's talk. We never learn. Question one twenty six. A predecessor stockpiles a pizza bet in anticipation of the big day, which is a very smart idea. Stock up. I mean, you have kind of been doing that in a way. Yeah, I really, I guess, you know, maybe I'm the we never learn, Nick. Maybe I'm, maybe the we never learn. Maybe the real we never learn. Friends we've met along the way. Uh, So this is an Asumi chapter, and it starts with her. Gain a drink out of a vending machine, but it's like, ding, 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 you win. And she gets two. And at first I thought this was her mom, but after a little bit, I was like, I guess it's just one of the other women who work at the maid cafe. Because she calls her by name. Yeah. So, so uh, she's like, yeah, no, you just won. It's really cool. And she's like, and you see, assume he looks a little conflicted and she just pushes both the juices over to her. And she's like, you take them. It's like, oh, really? Why? She's like, well. I don't want to use up any of my luck. I'm trying to save up all of my good luck to get questions I'm good at on the exams. And her friend's like, it's kind of adorable. You know, she's like, oh, shut up. Fuck off. You can't. She didn't say any of that. She just says, oh, please. <laughs> but in my mind, she's like, shut up, you stupid whore. <laughs> don't you fucking patronize me, bitch. <laughs> I'll, I'll slice your goddamn tits off. She, like, takes her scarf off, and there's, like, an assassin's belt in it. <laughs> it's a scarf lined with garrote. Uh, so Uega shows up and she's like, oh, hey, how you guys doing? She's like, oh, yeah, what a coincidence to see you there. And Asumi's waving and we see a meter pop up on the, the page next to her that's like, bloop. And she's like, oh, I felt like my, my score just decreased. And her friend's like, gotta go do some shopping. You two have fun. So she books it out of there. And she's like, no, wait, you've got the wrong idea. Oh, fuck it. So. They go head off and they pass by one of those lottery machines where it's like just kind of like a like an octagonal thing that you turn it and then like a ball comes out. 
So they're like, huh, I guess we'll do this. Like, yeah, and I love Uega. He's such a sweet boy where he's like, I hope I get something practical out of this, like tissues or toilet paper. That's what he wants is something like that. Yeah. He just wants something that, you know, will be worth the amount that they're spending on it, basically. Because <laughs> he got a ticket from his mom for it. So he does it. Boom. What do you, what do you know? It's the big winner for a grand prize of Congratulations. free Congratulations <laughs> to Doha Chadland, which is that fish doctor that Asumi really likes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow, crazy. Well, here, you take these. They're good for half a year, so you can go when exams are over. And she's like, wow, really? And she starts to grab it, and the meter for her luck starts plummeting. <laughs> she's like, no, I can't take it. You just take it. Uh, and there's basically this is the entire gist of the chapter is uh, the two go somewhere, somehow stumble butt first into winning something. <laughs> like They walk into their favorite restaurant. They're like, you're our 100th customer of the day. You win free dessert. And we're going to sit you at the best table. And your change came up to 707 yen. yen, Which I'm like, that doesn't really feel that lucky. Like, I know the numbers. 777. I know the numbers are lucky. But it's not really lucky for you. You don't benefit more. Like, if it was 778, that would be even luckier, right? Because you got an extra yen. Uh but yeah, every like anytime they ask for more rice, a new batch is ready. So at the end of it, Asumi's like, all of her lucks just ran out. And she's like, oh, God, what's going to happen? And he's uh, Uyga's like, what's, well, what's going on with you? Something's bothering you. Uh, and I guess this happened at some point. I vaguely remember this. Uh, a squirrel comes up. Who, it's not a squirrel. It's uh, a hamster. A hamster who talks like a 1920s gangster. He's like, sup there, toots. Long time no see, baby. Ah, bow. Like he's just from New York or something. Like, hey, what's going on there, skirts? <laughs> and uh, it scares Asumi. Uh, but being scared actually raises her luck up level. So she's like, I just need to grind being scared by this fucking weird hamster. It's really weird. Uh, and Yuega's like, what do you mean? She's like, just stay like this. All oh, my luck level's rising. Um, and she's like, no, I can't. And then she she falls and kind of like dip, like unintentionally dips her head into the like river they're near. So she gets uh, potentially maybe sick. We we hard cut to her naked in the shower. Um, it's very important that we see her like this. It was actually confusing to me because I realized that when she doesn't have like her pigtails kind of in, like her braids, I actually have really hard time recognizing who she is. Uh, but there are other reasons as well. I'll get to it at the end of the chapter. Uh, so we just see what happened. Uega pulled her out of the river. She's like, oh, my head just got wet. It's nothing to worry about. He's like, no, you can get sick. I will give you my jacket to keep you warm and then carry you back to the hospital. She's like, By the oh, way, I really don't need to. Uega is like low key jacked uh-huh. because he hefts her up uh, piggyback style, hooking under her legs. But then he has to carry his <laughs> he has to carry their bags in his free in one of his hands so he is carrying her while she is resisting being carried while hooking her under just one leg so he has got all of her weight under one arm basically and he's just a, no no big deal hup, 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 just doesn't even flinch <clears throat> so 
Oof. Jesus Christ, you ego. Yeah, he, that boy works out. <clears throat> and nearly uh, killed Chris. I That was something weird. Something just tried to come up, and now my throat's like, fucked. <clears throat> um, uh, uh, long story short, uh, she she got a little bit of her luck up, uh, but a little bit goes She down. refilled it. She ground it. She ground it all the way up to full meter because uh, of the hamster and the, and the sickness. But so. a little bit goes down because she got to spend a cute moment with Uega. And uh, that wasn't as good. So there's even a moment where he's like blow drying her hair. And he's like, oh, so you're trying to keep all of your luck up. Ah, well, I wouldn't do that. But Senpai, you know, you're pretty cute sometimes. And her luck goes down from that as well. And uh, she gets really angry. She's like, see, you are laughing at me. And he's like, ah, you know what? I'll I'll go make you some tea. She's like, no, you really don't have to do that. Uh, Trips, some books fall. And I don't, I don't know how the science of this works, but Uega falls like kiss first into her forehead. Well, let me tell you something, Chris. Whenever I am falling on top of somebody, I purse my lips as a reflex. Mm-hmm. So. Like, Who knows where this is going to land? And uh, this is always going to be for my benefit. Maybe I'm going to land on a big hunk of cheese, you know, and I get to a good cheese kiss or something like that. Or maybe, maybe I'm going to fall face first into some ranch dressing. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's uh, how you it's food lip first. <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna fall into some Neapolitan ice cream, and I can get all three flavors at once. Uh, so all of her luck plummets because she kissed him, uh, kissed her on the forehead, and she's like, "No!" But she gets it back because she lets the hamster hang around. It's just like, "Hey, you toots," and that's that's the end of the chapter. Um, this is a weird chapter, mm-hmm. and I realize what was very weird to me. Is I was like, I love Asumi. She's my favorite character in the series. This didn't very feel like a very big Asumi chapter, though. And I think it's the reason, sort of like what you had a little bit ago when Ogata had her chapter, where you're like, we really didn't actually feel like this was Asumi in this chapter, mm-hmm. uh, because sort of like the most clear trademarks of Asumi's character, like her ability to tease Uega and kind of play about that, is aren't featured in this chapter whatsoever. No. I'm getting concerned about We Never Learn... Uh, as we get towards the end, because it seems as though what is happening is as we head towards the conclusion, we're getting to the point where we have to address the point of, hey, all five of these girls, to one degree or another, have romantic interest in Uiga. So we have to get to the point of that being dealt with, especially because we're getting towards this exam. And once the exam is done, then that's the only real plot point that's got to be addressed. So we have to, uh, you know, put forward this whole thing. It's like, OK, yeah, these girls are all actually romantically interested in Uiga. Uh So Ogato has, you know, finally realized that Fumino is coming around to it. Asumi is coming around to it. Kirisu and Uiga are getting kind of forced closer together. All that kind of thing. Because you can't have the story of like, well, which girl will he choose if none of the girls are actually interested in him? Um, then it would just come down to like, okay, will he return one of these two girls' interests kind of thing. Um, so there's that. Or on the other hand, like what if you get develops feelings for one of these girls and they're not interested in him? You know, what do you do there and all that stuff? So you've got to have all that laid out. Uh, but in order to do that, it feels as though focus is being taken away from what sets the characters apart from one another 
if it's just a matter of like, well, they care about Uiga and that's what's being addressed in this point. So, and that's kind of a big thing that about why we have enjoyed about the series is that we've had these characters that have had all of their own strong motivations for wanting to do things, uh, in their career, in their lives that have nothing to do with just their love for somebody. Even Aruka, whose big deal from the start was just that she already had a crush on Yuiga. She had this big dream of hers that she was working for. And she had all this stuff that established like her dedication to it and stuff like that. And the most recent chapter focusing on her was one of the more recent ones that actually felt like her felt more natural because you didn't have to, you know, hardline push forward the idea of like she loves you and so we have to kind of forget everything else in order to make sure that the reader gets that and the more that we do it over and over again it's really kind of grinding on me a little bit because it's like all right can we get to the point so yeah hopefully the next chapter is a little bit better um we shall see also in the middle of that we wasted a full chapter focusing on Uiga's sister and it was like great <laughs> so <laughs> Let's talk Dr. Stone, Chris. Time to get stoked. Z equals 120. Top secret. Secret is spelled with an A, like the sea, the ocean sea. And there is a big Keller page of Kohaku looking more pinopy than I think that she has in the entire series up to this point. Also, there's Ginro in the background. Yeah, with the pineapple. <clears throat> with the pineapple. The pineapple, which comes into play in this the, chapter. The Schrodinger's pineapple. Yeah, that's her. Uh, no, no. Che- Chekhov's pineapple. <laughs> yes. <that's it. laughs> Schrodinger's pineapple says pineapple. Uh, well, some... technically, Chris, it is and isn't a pineapple. So, uh, yeah, there you go. So sometimes what you're holding could be any kind of fruit, you know? So basically what's going on in this chapter is we're focusing on the spy group. Uh, well, not so much Amaryllis, just Kohaku and Ginro. This was a chapter that at the end of it made me ask, is Amaryllis alive? Like, I, I really was confused why she plays no role in this chapter whatsoever. You would think that there would be like a third thing going on uh, that the spy group was working on. But or, no, it's just, it's just the she, two. Or she would have talked to them at some point. There's there's like a very small scene of her having a conversation, a flashback, and that's it. So, uh, Kohaku is going off with Ginro because Ginro has been caught, has been summoned to meet with the master of the petrification kingdom. And so Ginro is like, no, I don't want him to fuck me up the butt. Please don't make me go. (laughs) Well, and also he's like, at least come with me. And Kohaku is like, no, I'm only allowed to escort you part way because you were the one who was summoned. But hey, come on, you know, this is your chance. You're you're making contact with the enemy leader. You know, we've got to learn what we can about the enemy. So, you know, do your thing. Just get friendly with him, get some information, find you know, take some hostages if the opportunity arises. And Gunnar's like, I can't do that. <laughs> um as she leaves uh, him there and walks off on her own, however, Mozu, the uh, stone-armored warrior guy who kind of caught on to her before, um, we see that you know this is actually the point in the previous chapter where he was like, hey, I know, I think you're the invader, so you should tell me where your friends are hiding. 
But we cut away from that, and that gets addressed later on. We get a flashback to see that Ginro was given this bizarre pineapple, which is actually a container for ethyl acetate. Uh, it essentially can be used to knock somebody out. It's, you know, chloroform, but like actual chloroform. Not actual chloroform, but like... Something, like knockout. It will, yes, it will yeah. do it. And he's carrying this around in his pants. Uh, apparently, this was never discovered before. I guess that I mean, uh, all, all women are known for their pineapple-shaped bulges, though. That's yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's yeah. kind of part of it. Kind of like went all the way around. Like if you had if you had like a regular size bulge, they would be like, "That's a man in drag." But if you know, have a huge bulge, there's like, "Oh, clearly there's just okay. specifically pineapple-shaped." You know, I often, I often when I when I look at women, I'm like. Uh, are you an ass man, a tits man, or a uh, spiky uh, <laughs> bulge man? <laughs> what part of the woman do you find most attractive? Well, it depends on where the spiky bulge is located. <laughs> right on the back. <laughs> Just a hump. <laughs> Protruding perpendicular from the back. And if the spiky bulge has a face, even better. Uh-huh. So... Ginro gets into the master's quarters and sees this figure behind a curtain. Uh, and he sees this bizarre voice say, good, good, enter. Uh, and Ginro gets really nervous immediately and starts kind of just like babbling. Um, and almost gives away the fact that, you know, he's a dude. But then looks around and sees that, you know, the circular, the curtain is in a circle and goes around. And on the very far side of the curtain uh, is Ibasa or Ibarra. That's his name. A uh, big, tall mustache, old dude. And so he starts speaking to the master. And whenever the master speaks, there is just this weird, inaudible murmuring. And Ibarra just goes, ah, I understand. It's just like always then. Uh, you needn't be nervous, Ginrolina. We can't let girls who haven't been vetted spend time with the master alone. Can we before that? This old man will teach you a thing or two about love. Satisfy me and the master is all yours. Um. Okay. Ew. ew. That's. It's so. I've said this previously when it comes to like, you know. It's weird just to have like the topic of sex in general come up in Dr. Stone. I don't know. It's just. Ugh. And I, I'm glad that at least it's presented in a context of, yeah, this is gross and weird, but it's also somewhat comedic, which bothers me in this case. So, mm. uh, anyway, we cut away from that as Ginro tries to get away from Ibarra because he doesn't want to be fucked up the butt uh, to see Mozu con- confronting Kohaku and Kohaku. I think she actually said this in the previous chapter, but she says like, if I were the invader, do you think that I would reveal that location so easily? And in the previous chapter, she was, you know, untying the rope on her leg. And it turns out she had a blade hidden inside of it. And so she just was like, yep, all right. And just starts fighting guards that come up to her. Um, and Moses is like, ah, all right. Uh, you're strong, Kohaku. The Anubis head guy from before comes rushing towards Kohaku saying that he's going to kill her dead. And Mozu reacts to this by 
um, beating up all the other guards in like one blow and says, who said you could kill her? If she was ugly, sure. But what a waste of beauty that would be. The harem is how I have my fun. And don't you forget that. Kaka completely ignores all of this. Better for it. And it's just like, this guy is the strongest warrior in the petrification kingdom. But objectively speaking, I'm the strongest fighter in the kingdom of science. So if I can't stop this guy, then nobody can. So might as well fight him now. She's makes sense. Probably making a bad decision here. But anyway, they're going to fight. I do wonder if this is happening because I don't know. It sort of feels like this was put in because like oh, this part of the story needs a little bit of spicing up. So, you know, it's just, it's just, there's a fight scene here. I, I think and we kind of had this discussion a while back when we first kind of met Mozu and he talked about like wanting to have an encounter with uh, Kawaku that I thought it was I, I think he does want to have sex with her, but at the same time also wants to fight her that there's this kind of bloodlust that he senses and wants to engage in. So I kind of suspected there would be some kind of physical showdown between them, especially mm-hmm. when they kind of emphasize that he's like a strong fighter. Right. So it does make sense that we have something like this. Um, so I, I kind of get it. I I, I, I I get why we're there. And I'm kind of glad that so far, even though his whole thing is like, you can't kill her because she's beautiful. It's not like a, there's less weird overtones in this one. He's just like a he's a blood knight kind of guy. Mm. I suppose we'll see. Uh Ginro takes the opportunity of, because there's a bunch of noise outside from the fighting, Ibarra gets distracted to take out the pineapple, pour out the ethyl acetate, and Ibarra uh, inhales it and starts to get dizzy and starts to teeter over. So Ginro's like, all right, perfect, I'm going to leave now. But then he realizes what will happen if he just leaves without finding anything out. Kahaka will beat him up. So he decides to peek through the curtain and get a look at the uh, master. Uh, but when he looks at the master, he sees a statue. Dun, dun, dun. The master's been petrified. Uh, but as he looks at it, he realizes that the, that the face looks a lot like Soyuz. Ooh. Also, then the light comes out more clearly and he sees that part of the face has been broken off. It's actually really gruesome looking because you can like see that like a big chunk is missing and like the So it's like the mouth is uncovering the, these broken teeth and you can see like part of like the innards of the skull. So. Ew. Um, and Ginro gets freaked out by this. Uh, and when he sees this, Ibarra realizes what, uh, Ibarra comes to and realizes that, uh, Ginro Lina quote unquote has seen this and, can't be allowed to tell anyone. And uh, there's a big scary picture of him reaching towards Ginro with these big clawed hand. And then there's one shot of uh, Kohaku fighting with uh, Mozu, and that's the end of the chapter. I think it's a fine chapter. I don't have a ton to really say about it. I, I, Not really. I'm still... I'm kind of... I feel like I should like this chapter more because we're getting like some creepy imagery that's super awesome, and we're like... We're finding out reveals, but... I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting. Maybe nothing's just hitting me right now with Dr. Stone. Yeah, I, I, just, I wasn't a huge fan of this chapter either. Um, 
I guess I think it's because it's like I should feel like this reveal uh, should be a lot bigger. But I'm kind of like waiting for like the actual important thing. Um, because like it's once they started hinting towards uh, this, you know, hidden master while meanwhile Ibarra was doing stuff. Um, it's not that big a surprise to see that like the supposed master isn't a real person. It's just a figurehead that Ibarra uses to actually lead the, the village. Okay. Makes sense. It's not, it's, it's kind of, it's a not too uncommon thing to have happen. Um, and then there's the connection to Soyuz, but you already knew that Soyuz was from this village. So finding out that, Oh, his family was important to it. All right. I, I did see someone uh, tweet something, or maybe they they sent a message in the Discord about it. Um, Whether I guess when Amaryllis first started trying to seduce people, she seduced Soyuz first, and she said, "Oh, I thought it's because he had a leader like quality to him." Mm-hmm. So it's a nice little tease there, to Yeah, yeah. Them. Well, Chris, um, there's no seven deadly sins. No, there's no deadly sins this week. <laughs> So let's so, get to talking about craziness. Uh, Promised Neverland. So uh, Emma and Ray are rushing to try and find Norman. They reach what seems like a dead end. And they're like, let's do our super jump ability. See, it's you see, Chris, at certain points in this adventure game, if you come to uh, a marking uh, on the ground, then you can do a special team up ability where... <laughs> uh-huh. This is how uh, it works. So you just got to you got to get all the things together. And then, yeah, Ray cups to give Emma a boost so that she can reach this one opening on the wall uh, high up. And she jumps like 20 feet in the air (laughs) as a result of this. She didn't. So, Nick, a couple things are kind of like Promise Neverland is good at subtly doing things. So if you'll notice in the chapter where she makes the promise, uh, she doesn't reveal what the promise is. But at the right. very, very small text kind of hidden within like the gibberish text, uh, she, asked, jump really, really high. she asked for mad hops. <laughs> so that's clearly where she got it. And no one is surprised because everyone knew that. uh Emma always dreamed of being a crazy basket. Well, uh, what was the fuck? Slam ball. She always wanted to be a slam ball star. Oh, <laughs> the fucking the, the weird spike TV trampoline, trampoline basketball. Yep, there you go. That's a, that's such a, like an early two thousands thing to reference. He <laughs> got to though. People that, have to like, remember it. Hey, remember when the game show network had a dodgeball competition show? <laughs> In my heart, they still do. Um, we cut over to the battle between all the demons um, and some of the nobility are reacting to the fact that, you know, even Daza was killed. And they're like, hey, you know, that guy wasn't, you know, he was lowborn, but hey, he was probably the second strongest member of the of us here. And he was just killed by some random subordinate of, of Gielan's. So that means that Gielan and his men are both really really strong um but one of the ones who is observing this is like but still that's kind of weird like if gilan if the Gielan clan is behind all the tax then they should have eaten the stolen meat they shouldn't look like wild demons still which means that the assault and the burglaries must have a separate mastermind but who is it who 
anyway, the queen's just just like, all right, I got this. <laughs> um, and uh, one of and uh, one of Gielan's uh, men observes that she's making Iverk, the Grand Vizier kind of figure who approached Gielan when he was in prison, um, made him back down uh, because he is actually so important to the regime that the queen would be in a lot of trouble if she lost him. So it's interesting to have that little bit of, Hey, if I lose this really important guy, then I'm not going to be able to run my kingdom. So I'm just going to kill all these fuckers myself and make sure that none of these guys get killed. So Gielan's men, uh, step forward and they're like, we're going to kill, we're going to devour the queen. We're going to kill that boy. Lord Gielan's going to become king. So they go rushing after the queen and she starts destroying them. Well, she, she, she starts by activating her spider thread, like fucking razor whip fingers. And you're like, every anime has to have one similar to the way a DC character has to have a cold base supervillain. Every anime needs to have a character with razor whip fingers. She goes Lady Deathstroke on them by uh, extending her fingernails into super sharp blades. But most of the rest of the chapter is spent focusing on Gielan's men and their story uh, and how essentially they're so loyal that when he was cast out, they stood beside him. Uh, You know, they objected to the queen's ruling and so, you know, if Eric was like, well, if you're disobeying her ruling, then you're going to receive the same punishment. Uh, and they were warned, like, you've got to withdraw your remarks. But uh, there was that. And they were like, hey, listen, you know, like, don't. There was actually a bit where, like, you know, Gielan's family told them, like, hey, you shouldn't worry about us. You know, there's no need for you to get punished along with us. And instead, Gielan's men were like. You're so noble. You know, you still worry about us even when you're in your worst moment. You care about us and aren't aren't worrying about yourselves. But they're like, no, we're not going to succumb. We're going to follow you. We know you're innocent and we will not recognize a crime that you did not commit. So they willingly gave themselves up and they're like they were there as Gielan, you know, lost his family. And when he descended into, you know, the wild and madness, a bunch of them sacrificed their lives to both Gielan and those remaining so that he could continue to live on. Um, and they're like, we survived thanks to the sacrifice of our former citizens. They allowed us to live. That's why we have the duty to attest to the truth. That's why we have to carry on. We didn't fall and they didn't get eaten so that you all could laugh and grow fat. This won't end until justice prevails. We will get our revenge. And even as Lagravima is cutting down member after member of Gielan's army. Uh, one of the men just again opening and getting behind her. And even then she just ducks his blow and then cuts behind her and cuts his face in half. And she's like, you were close, but not good enough. But with his like dying half headed moment, he smirks and she realizes something is wrong. And there's a, mo- a moment where he thinks, even we knew we wouldn't be able to defeat the royal family. And there are bombs around his fucking stomach. And and it's, she looks around and realizes that a whole bunch of the people she just cut up are all wearing suicide vests. And so in their last moments, they're all killing themselves in order to attack the queen while they all shout out, long live King Gielan. And that's the end of the chapter. 
it's a really cool moment. Uh, and it, it's nice. I wasn't really sure about, you know, seeing the like, oh, look at how noble Gielan was. But it's nice to see that reflected in like the people who follow him and their attitude and their devotion to him. This was a really well done dramatic chapter showing just how dedicated to this that they were that when it happens and they've got the suicide vest on you're like yeah i totally buy that they would do that after seeing all the stuff that they've been through so yeah i i like this chapter a lot um i think that there was a point where you could have because gilan is literally a pawn in this whole thing yes. where uh norman's just like i'm gonna use him to create this disruption no matter what happens, I'm going to kill him. So there was there was always a point where you could just make Gielan a very disposable thought to this story. That he goes in, like, rah, 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 oh, he, he doesn't win, but oh, that's fine, because the ultimate point wasn't that he would. But they've right. added, like, a ton of detail to make Gielan's, not just him, but his entire unit, uh, feel like this memorable piece of the story. Which is sad, because, again, we know that even... If because Gielan himself isn't dead yet, uh, mm-hmm. at least that's not the impression I'm getting because I don't think he's actually dead. he was just I'm like not, a member of he was just like a member of one of the guys who got cut down immediately. He's like, Yeah, long live king. Oh, he's already dead. Long live king me. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I'm wearing a suicide vest. Shit. <laughs> it's hard to tell because all the demons, and I feel like I'm a real racist for saying this, all the demons kind of look a lot alike. Um, so I really can't tell the difference between them. It doesn't help that all the, uh, the members of the, of the, if they belong to the same house, then their masks very deliberately look the same. So, so there's that, but there is a sad thing that we know that even if Lord Gielan, uh, ends up kind of getting a victory here, that he's going to get betrayed by Norman and almost certainly yeah. killed. Like there's not a yeah. pro there's not a happy ending most likely for Lord Gielan. And it's sad because you want him to have a happy ending based on this backstory. Yeah. It's kind of like one of those things is like Im- an impossibility for him to get his, the way that you get what he wants, which is, you know, to kill everyone and take over the kingdom. Uh, because like, well, no, Norman can't die that way because he's got, too important a role to left to play in the story. So, <laughs> all right, Black Clover. Let's talk about Black Clover, Nick. Black this Clover. Last, this is the last chapter this week because there was, in addition to no Seven Deadly Sins, there was no One Piece this week. So, uh, page two nineteen, as pitch black as it gets. That's really hard to read. Ironically. The black lettering for the pitch black as it gets title is against a mostly black background in this shot. So it's very difficult to see. So last time all the black bulls showed up. Whoa. Oh, my God. Uh, But of course, uh, Asta's like, you guys. And then they start sassing him because they're like, you big dumb idiot. What are you doing? You you could touch my sister. They all have their own things to say. Um, and there's a moment where uh, Sekra is like, hey, f- whatever you weirdos are here for, d- d- don't bother with me. Just take Aston run. It's a very sweet moment. Yeah. Uh, and Yami walks up to her and she even says, like, I'm not from this era. I'm using for moon magic and I've been using you guys for the sake of my purpose. And Yami's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of late to say that stuff after you parked yourself at our place without asking. But uh even after watching us all this times, it looks like you still don't get it. 
And everybody in the Black Bull starts talking about how they've heard about her story, about how she, you know, you know, acted like a bird for 500 years. Uh, we even get like, uh, you know, you're totally a lady, but you're still totes the man. Uh, and everybody's like super supportive of her. And Yami throws a Black Bull's cloak over her and says, hey, we're already a mix of weirdo assorted freaks. And as pitch black as it gets. And uh, Sekere thinks back to the last message that uh, Lumiere gave her before he died. And he says, you know, from now on, win new happiness for yourself with companions of this era. Nero. So I guess she'll go by Nero now. I'm not entirely sure. But Probably going to go by both. Yeah. Well, I only remember one. So fucking pick one, bitch. All right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, she, uh, she breaks her handcuffs, which I, I, I guess she unseals, unseals. the locking mechanism. Yes. I fucking hate the sealing <laughs> magic. Uh, so yeah, they're like, yeah, that's what the black bulls are all about. We're freaks and weirdos. Uh, which I think in this moment kind of actually comes across relatively well that this is a, a collective of kind of weird characters. Um, Couple notes about this. Okay. One, I think it's nice to have you know Sekre acknowledged as a member of the Black Bulls. Uh, it seems like you know a natural thing to have happen at this point, given that it seems like she's going to be part of this more core cast, given how much time she's been spending around Asta uh, lately. Which technically, I guess she's kind of always been spending it around Asta while she was just Nero. But anyway, um, but it's a nice little note, and it's nice to see Yami putting the cloak on her. Two problems I have with this. Okay. Uh, but they're mostly kind of minor complaints. One is that it's kind of was grinding on me the number of times in a row we just had all the black bulls just like say something, you know, like say something that Gosh would say, say something that Noel would say, say something that Mac would say. And it just keeps they have it. They had it when they showed up in the previous chapter. They had it when they're berating Asta. And then they have it here when they're all praising uh, Sekre. And it's like, I get it. That's your gimmick. Can you, can you stop it? Can you say something like, you know, of substance, please, to contribute to this conversation? Or otherwise, shut the fuck up. And, like, I think this would have been a much more powerful moment if only Yami had talked. And only Yami had said, you don't get it. Everyone here believes in you. And you can, you know, just as effectively have that carried across by, like, having all of the Black Bulls, like, you know, smile welcomingly towards yeah. her um, and then give her the, the cloak. And I think that would have been more effective. Um, the other thing is that I don't buy it um, in the sense that we've had since the series started, she's technically the second new member of the black bulls, you know, aside from Asta and Noel. Um, but every time since, say, Gauche, every time after that, whenever it's like, hey, and also here's this member of the Black Bulls. They're part of the group, too, uh, you know, with Henry, uh, with Gray. Uh, well, you know, when Gray's real form was revealed and also sadly with Zora, none of them have gotten to do anything. 
Yeah. Um, it means nothing to just join a member of the to become a member of the Black Bulls in terms of like this character is important now. It's one of those things where it's like it should feel like, you know, important to join this group because it's the group of heroes and a little bit of spoilers for the end. It seems as though we're going to be following them a little bit more exclusively. They're going to just kind of be off on their own as opposed to teaming up with other units and stuff like that. But Zora, especially since his introductory chapter, has done jack all. He had some contribution to a couple of fights, but we he hasn't done anything. You know, he's just been there. So having Sekre become an official member of the Black Bulls. All right. Who cares? And I shouldn't feel that way about that it felt like a big deal when Zoro was like hey and he's a member of the black bulls after we built him up and he's been made important and stuff like that and secretary has gotten the same treatment but since that introductory arc that they've had they haven't done anything so so with uh Sekrei, the black bulls now have 14 members that was, that was the other thing. This is a big group. There's so. a lot of them. And look, I actually really like that she gets added to the Black Bulls. I think it's a very sweet gesture. And I think she could be a cool character. And I think she has a unique design. I think she has kind of a fun, like fun in the way she's kind of a straight man to everybody. Yeah. Kind of personality. There's no, there's no one with that personality in the group besides her. So I, I do like her inclusion. But as you said, there are a lot of people in this group. And... I'm optimistic, as you said, that the end of this has us focusing on them because maybe when we don't also have the 17 other characters from the other various fucking groups inserted into the story, that maybe we'll have a chance to get to know some of these characters better or give them a chance to shine. Uh, I'm also still fully expecting that they're because the end of this chapter just to jump ahead is them being sent off that they're going to be like well we're isolated from the kingdom and the next chapter is going to be like real showed up to save the day or some shit like that <laughs> like I'm, I'm fully expecting it um anyway damnatio says seems like you guys don't actually understand what's going on here even if you shield him it doesn't matter like you're not going to remove the suspicion that he's under and in fact, all you've done is basically make yourselves accomplices and disturb the peace. So it doesn't matter. And he, he starts using his his magic and we find out what his his scale magic does. It regulates. So everyone's it's be the balance, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's be the balance. Everybody's everybody's strength gets diminished and shrunken as a result. So, like, we even see, like, the Black Bull's headquarter crumbles because there's not enough magic to keep it up. Uh, Charmy's little sheep thing crumbles. As, uh, Magna's flame bat, like, just shrinks to what basically it's like a lighter in his hand. Uh, but Vanessa, I don't know why they even bother mentioning, I guess it's to be like, her magic is so powerful it can't ever be fully stopped. Is like, ah, Rogue hasn't vanished. So, one of our broken elements is still in peace. And Asta still has anti-magic. So uh, I kind of wasn't sure what was happening here because they're like, let's just kill the magic judge. <laughs> Basically, that's kind of what happens. Asta uses magic to nullify everything. And then Yami goes in with a strike that's clearly intended to cut this man in half before fucking Fuego Leon and Nozelle step in. And I was like, what was the game plan here? Were you just oh, going to kill the judge? 
Chris Nozel though says it looks like you meant to miss. <laughs> I'm like, I still don't get what the plan was. And <laughs> were you just gonna be like scared you? And as per the rules of Magic Court, if we scare the judge, we get to go free with all of our charges dropped. I don't make the rules. It's just how Magic Court works. Uh, Can you imagine if, like, <laughs> if, like, the Black Bulls didn't show up and Damnashu was like, you stand accused of all these crimes. And if you continue to resist us, then nothing will be, be accomplished. And, and As is like, oh, no, what do I do? And his grimoire starts glowing. And he's like, wait a minute, another sword is coming out. I can negate the charges against me now. <laughs> My sword that cuts down bureaucracy. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> The, the the parliament that they're in just just like crumbles around them. <laughs> becomes, Yay, anarchy! It becomes a Denny's. Everyone's like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "I removed law and order. Due process has been destroyed." <laughs> As a result of that, the FDA went away too. That's why it's a Denny's. <laughs> um. So we're we're running short on time. So essentially, they show up. They're like, "Hey." They use their clout to be like, well, we can't lose capable knights, which I do like how they give some reason for why two nobles are stepping in to be like, hey, let's, you know, don't kill these guys. But they can't remove the charges. So what they do is like, we brought a mission from the Wizard King and the Wizard King says that while they're suspected to be devils, they are to be exiled and kept under observation. But... They will be assigned to a mission of exploring and investigating the devils. So that's what we get. They're, they're going to be exiled from the kingdom, which goes to kind of move us towards this. Let's start investigating the other kingdoms thing. Uh, but it's their way of kind of keeping anyone from being judged right now. And they're like, hey, we're going to have you prove your innocence, which I do like that they didn't actually end this conflict by Asta beating somebody in a fight and yeah. being like, I guess we dropped the charges. They're like, hey, the, the the accusation against you is that you're the devil behind all this. You need to find, you know, proof otherwise. So It's not bad. Um, it, it could have been done better. And I do think that the... I don't know. It's There are parts of this that just, that just kind of bother me a little bit. But I will admit that there are certain parts of it that's like, okay, this is actually a pretty good way of us getting into what this arc is going to be about now. So it's an, it's been an all right transition getting from this whole zombie army thing into fighting the devil and then just going hard from that into like, okay, we got to go to the other kingdoms and stuff now. So <laughs> I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because the way this is set up would indicate we're going to follow the black bulls, but I don't have faith that Mary Leona won't show up three chapters into this, and it's like, I'm joining you too, or some shit like that. Well, they do say or that they've got to be kept under observation, so who are they going to be observed by? If, it's if, like, if all they, the captains are here. I swear, if it's like five fucking members of the Magic Knights, I'm going to lose my shit. So there we go. That is it for this week. What were your favorites, Chris? Favorite chapter in MVP? Favorite chapter... I had it and I lost it. All right. My favorite chapter this week was My Hero Academia. Like I said, there's was 
just a couple of plot details in it, but honestly, it was just a fun ride all around. Uh, and uh, I really, I, honestly, there was even a moment when I was first reading it where, like, I got to that first page of everyone at the Christmas celebration, and I was like, is everyone class 1A there? And I did a little count, and I was like, okay, there's everyone in Santa costume except Bakugo there, but there's 19 of them. And I was like, well, Sato's missing. I bet Sato's cooking. And it turns out Sato's been cooking. It's like, okay, that's just really nice. That is like, okay, everyone feels like themselves and is, you know, having a good time together. So uh, my favorite chapter I'm going to give to uh, the promised Everland because mm. I really liked its execution. And I really like that. We kind of got a pretty tense moment that I'm like, oh shit, well, what happens from here? In uh, that thread of thinking, my favorite character really characters this week was Gielan's followers. Uh, and their whole backstory with him and their dedication to him. So feels like cheating. I don't approve. All right. Uh, my uh, favorite. Fine. Character. The one Gielan follower who we saw <laughs> smirk went before he blew himself up. <laughs> Nameless Gielan follower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for my favorite character, I'm going to say Sekre, uh from Black Clover. I really, I really do like her joining the group. I do like, I don't know if it's going to be the best thing for it, but I, I thought it was very sweet. And I, there is something very, like kind of cute to Yami, like as she's begging for them to just leave her behind and then take Asta, Yami walking up and putting the cloak on her is a very sweet gesture. Kind of, I kind of like want to see that animated and for it to be like, you just go <laughs> and he just throws it at her and somehow it lands on her. And then like her arms pop out. <laughs> uh, and the audience said that they like Dr. Stone the best and that hmm. Tayo was their favorite character this week. All right. Interesting. All right, guys, that is going to be it. We want to thank you guys for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show around 730 to 8 Eastern time in the evening on Wednesdays. But for changes, you can follow us on Twitter to stay updated on that kind of thing. At T, at Nick F. Time are your two hosts. And at WMR Podcast is the main podcast uh, account. That's the word I was looking for. Anyway, I know I'm good at my job, Chris. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love it. If you want to check out past episodes, you can check us out on weeklymongerecap.podbean.com as well as on YouTube and iTunes. Uh, if you want to suggest a series for us to read or leave general feedback or that kind of thing, we've got a Discord channel. We've got an email account, weeklymongerecap at yahoo.com. If you go on the Discord server, you will see the uh, giant-ass spreadsheet that is maintained by NinjaX3i where you can see stuff that we are currently working through, stuff that has already been recommended that you can chime in on. Uh, make sure you go onto that and leave a Halloween recommendation because we're coming up on October in a few weeks. And also you can vote for the year-end supplemental awards that we'll get into when there's a big break in manga running and we have to talk about something else. Yep. Uh, special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap, as well as to Wensleydale Cheddar, uh, I'm forgetting all the names right now. Infamous Planet, um, Steve Mann, Milo Jack, Stiltz. Milo Jack Stiltz. Yes, those are all the names. There all you go. the helping make the podcast look all special and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because like we couldn't do that. We're wow. we're talentless hacks. So it was like a week. I tried to do uh, Photoshop, and I realized just how absolutely terrible at it I am. Yeah. There you go. Thanks, guys. And it's going to do it. Yeah. We'll catch you all next week. All right, Nick, something to send us off. Give us something to go to sleep to. Sing me a song. 
Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Enough to finish this song. <laughs>